This podcast is for the lesson on narrative and warfare. The Michael Vlahos article is very much the most important article, not necessarily for its applicability to the so-called global war on terror, as much as for its applicability to narrative's place in national security, to narrative's place in warfare. The Friedman chapter very much aligns, has a lot of overlap with Gaddis's final chapter about the importance of narrative and strategy making. And then Sean McFate very, does a great job of summarizing much of the warfare chapters or texts of Catulia, uh, the person that lives in what we call today India, very much an economist, but also uh, was a scholar of strategy and warfare. So I want to talk about two things today. The first thing is I want to underline the idea of a war narrative or a national security narrative. And this is very much about uh, the Vlahos article that I want to focus on. And he says that narrative is the foundation of all strategy. Upon all else, policy, words, and actions is built. That it's an organizing framework, a foundation of truths for people that are self-evident, that should be self-evident or should become self-evident for not only your soldiers, your Marines, your airmen, and your sailors, but also for your citizens that may, in wartime, have to mobilize for years, sometimes even decades, as a nation. Then once war is underway or warfare is underway, uh, Vlahos suggests that this core narrative becomes the anointed rhetorical handbook for how the war is to be argued, how it's to be described, how it's to be justified, and how you can keep the will to fight, the will to mobilize, the will to kill, the will to die, the, um, going year after year and sometimes decade after decade. The second part of this podcast, I want to talk about um, narratives to deter. So deterrence is extraordinarily important in the study of warfare and the study of strategy. It's something that we're doing every day as a national strategy apparatus. Um, and in my opinion, uh, this is something that um, I have seen runs through every course that you're going to have. Oftentimes it's assumptions, sometimes it's not called deterrence, maybe it's called alliance building, but very often the end state is to deter war. So if you go back to Sunza uh, and some of the articles, that, or one of the articles that you read about him earlier, he talks about the best of all, the best of all options is to vanquish a foreign army without a fight. Now there's a lot of debate on exactly what that means by fight. Most people think he means avoiding a pitched war. Um, and the idea, though, is to focus on results, whatever the balance of physical and psychological strength might be, to focus on paralyzing an adversary and not necessarily on casualties inflicted on body bags or on effort that's put forth. Put forth. So focus on paralyzing an adversary, not just the tools of hard power that we happen to already have at our disposal. Catulia talks about from the 4th century, talks about the arrow shot by an archer may or may not kill a single person, but skillful intrigue devised by wise men can kill even those who are in the womb. Perhaps by winning a war of ideas or winning a story, you can get to a sort of checkmate. You can win a war of ideas and erase a conflict before the idea of the conflict is conceived. Liddell Hart, and I'm quoting here, uh, from a 1954 book, he talks about the strategist should think in terms of paralyzing and not of killing. 
that even on the lower plane, so on the tactical level, a man killed is merely one less man. Whereas a man unnerved is a highly infectious carrier fear capable of spreading an epidemic of panic. So you have tactical actions, tactical words that can have strategic effect. On the operational level, Liddell Hart suggests that the impression made on the mind of the opposing commander can nullify the whole fighting power that he and his troops possess. And on a strategic level, on the higher plane, as he says, psychological pressure on the government of a country, that is an adversarial government of a country, may suffice to cancel all of the resources at its command. So this is an idea that's been echoed through millennia. Victory before war is even an idea, and it can mean many things. This is hotly debated. One of the things to think about is deterrence through fear, not only through hard power, but through how you tell your story so that people don't try to start a war with you. And I think what's really interesting to me is ways that governments of Vietnam, the government of Lithuania, of Estonia, of Latvia, of Finland, of Sweden, the way that they use narrative in order to try to deter influence or possible future incursion from certain uh, adversaries or competitors. And so one hotly debated contentious idea is those narrative put, narratives put forth by Estonia to deter Russia influence and the possibility of Russia trying to annex in sometime in the distant future some part of Estonia, for example, where you see ethnic Slavs, ethnic Russians, and Russian speakers. And so Estonia created something called the Defense League that became a framework for an evolving national concept of what they call active resistance. It's partisan warfare. Now, the important thing about this is that Estonia, Tallinn, each year they invite international press to come and cover the training of civilians for the future of partisan warfare. And let me explain a little bit. Um, the idea is, yes, if Russia really wanted to evade Estonia at some future date, that they could get to Tallinn, probably in a day or two. But as Colonel Utega says of the uh, Estonian Special Force uh, Operations Force, he said to the Politico in 2018, they will get fire from every corner at every step. In other words, they can come, but they're not likely to leave. At least they're not going to leave um, unscathed. So they hold these media events around the Estonian Defense League. There's about 25,000 volunteer civilians. They include women and children of a population of 1.3 million. I had the opportunity and honor to meet some of the adults, of course, uh, not the uh, having children partisans. Uh, that's a uh, very sketchy uh, legal and ethical issue um, and something that we can certainly talk about if you want, but definitely in the law course, uh, that would be interesting to discuss. Um, they have what they call war games and military sports. Uh, they learn how to be, this is civilians, how to be partisans, how to be guerrillas, how to build and lay IEDs, how to hide weapons, how to conduct basic sabotage. Things that were learned from Afghanistan, both against the Soviets and more recently uh, the United States in Afghanistan. They took lessons learned from Iraq, from Syria, from Yemen, from Somalia, uh, from even from Vietnam. And they have also, they announce openly, the government of Estonia, that they have dispersed a classified number of automatic rifles. And so they announce this to the press. 
the idea is that if the Soviet or sorry, excuse me, if the Russians were ever to try to invade, that they would find a sort of a low-grade continuous guerrilla warfare, and it wouldn't be an army-an-army -army action. And so the question is, does this go beyond just deterrence? So deterrence, typically you think of armaments and saying, okay, if you invade us, we'll fight you with these armaments, or we have a lot of allies that will come in and help us uh, fight you on the battlefields. Does it generate fear and terror down to the last would-be adversarial soldier? The idea is that Russia may be able to win an occupation, but only at great physical and psychological cost, perhaps only after decades of bloodshed capable of bankrupting the government uh, in the Kremlin. So Estonia has a standing army of about 6,000, uh, but with this information strategy, are they able to achieve more with less? Are they able to give Russia pause with regard to unconventional warfare, annexation, and influence? And for its leaders, are they able to drive home the fear that there won't be any quick victories, that uniformed soldiers will likely uh, don civilian clothes and go out and lead these guerrilla teams? They won't be taking over bases. They won't be taking over dams. Basically, the idea is that Estonia will go Stone Age if Russia ever invades that they'll use hand signals, they'll use runners, they certainly won't use uh, online uh, mechanisms for communications, except perhaps as deception, and that they will be going to certain towns uh, and cities that are relatively empty. So there's no big parade, if you will. There's no victory march. That what they're going to come into is a well-planned and prepared, disparate guerrilla campaign. Thank you.